Please join me in the prayer for illumination that is in our bulletins. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and the word proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Our scripture lesson today comes from the book of Habakkuk. And no, I did not sneeze. That is a book of the Bible, Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. Hear now these words. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't think I fully realized the treasure that we had in my yard, on my home, at Redbud Drive in Sumter, South Carolina. It was one of those things that you don't miss until it's gone. That treasure, that thing I miss the most from that house, is the taste of fresh fig preserves. I can still remember my childhood summer evenings running out to the fig tree on our property, taking one of those ripe figs and tasting it, trying to get one of the ripe ones before the birds inevitably got them. That joy of that fresh fig was unparalleled, even though the texture was weird. (laughs) But what came next for most of the figs was even better than the fresh fig. On the stove in my house later that summer would be a pot full of fresh figs with sugar bubbling away in a hot kitchen. I can still remember my grandmother and my mother side by side, my mom preparing the jars so that we could can them, my grandmother stirring it until it got to the gel point and checking it. Those sweet figs then placed on the table to eat with a hot buttered biscuit the next morning. If you have had it, your mouth is just salivating right now. The joy of those days was something I did not know to savor until we moved yet again, and this time to a house with no fig trees. I get a glimpse of the joy of fresh figs every so often. I told Ben Troxler that I loved figs, and he brought me a bag of fresh figs, and I made those whole fresh fig preserves from my grandmother's recipe, and that was the last batch that I've had in a while. So Ben, if you're listening, and it's time to say them. I love jams and jellies. Shannon Baxter, our new pastor who's coming, is a friend of mine. And his wife, Amy, one time watched me get into a bidding war for a basket of fresh jams and preserves. And I was in this bidding war with an older woman. And I'm not ashamed to say I won because I love fresh figs and fresh preserves. Which is why when I read in scripture that Jesus curses a fig tree, I get really mad. (laughs) But this sermon is not about figs. 
just as much as this passage isn't about a literal time when a fig tree doesn't bear fruit. I want to talk this evening about how we can find joy even in a time with no fig preserves. First, let's learn a little bit more about this book because many of us probably haven't read it. It's a tiny little prophet. It's only three chapters long. It's not one that we quote from or read. In fact, this passage isn't in the lectionary, so you won't have heard it preached at another time. I even checked with Carol. Carol, you're not preaching on a backgick. And she said, nope, not this year. And this book starts off with a prophet's complaint. Oh, Lord, Habakkuk says, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence and you not save me? It's a complaint that we might hear in the world today, where kids come home telling us about their active shooter drills at school, where men like Tyree Nichols are killed by men in uniform, when crime and senseless violence erupts. Why, O oh Lord, why do you not listen? The prophet continues, and listen, it sounds like something that could have been ripped from the headlines today. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law becomes slack. Justice never prevails. Now, I often preach about injustice when I get a chance to preach, but tonight, on one of my favorite occasions, when I actually watch you all dance, I love watching you dance, and now I have video evidence that you can, so we should do it again. On this night, I want to talk about this passage and see what we might learn from Habakkuk about how to mine for joy in a response to difficult times. In times that are difficult, in times that are devoid of sweet pleasures like the taste of figs at the peak of their righteousness, rightness and righteousness, to have joy is both an act of resistance and an act of trust in God. Having joy is an act that says while others may make us feel small or wound us, we know that our worth, that our inherent value comes from being a beloved child of God. Joy in the face of life-threatening illness may seem foolish, but it is a joy that knowing no matter what happens to our body, we belong to God. I think this might have been what Jesus meant when he tells us, don't worry about what you'll eat or wear. God provides. Not worrying is easier said than done. And not worrying is not the same as having joy, but yet joy is available to us. Some of you may know the name John Batiste. He was, for a time, the music director for The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, if you watched that. And in his own right, he is a brilliant musician. In fact, he won a Grammy for one of his albums called We Are. And in the aftermath, he did several interviews, and one of them stuck with me. He revealed that he married his wife when she was going through treatment for cancer. And he said these words, There is a joy of living that is still available to us. It's always available to you, he said, no matter what you're going through. I look at folks even the, in the Ukraine. You see musicians playing on the street. You see a child, beautiful child, he said, singing in a bomb shelter. And you see these things throughout the history of time. 
You go back in time and you see people finding ways to find that joy of living. He urges us to find that moment of transcendence. It's incredible to me, he said. It brings me to tears just to think about the way that people and the resilience of people. I read an article recently that said that we as Christians need a more robust theology of holy delight. One that doesn't deny the pain of our world or the pain in our own lives because that pain will remain but instead a theology of joy that says that while this world is full of grief, the ending of the story is not one of death, but of everlasting life. And yet, how many times do we live as if Jesus stayed on the cross? Or the reverse, how many times do we live as if only the resurrection happens and that no pain exists? How do we embrace both the pain and the joy as part of the human experience and not let one negate the other. For Habakkuk, despite the famine described in the last bit of the chapter, a time when no figs grew, no olives became food from the fields, no meat from animals were found, he chose to rejoice in the Lord. God alone is the source of his salvation and his strength. And he chooses to lean on God, not only when times are good, but to find the joy of God, even in the worst of times. So I asked this question on Facebook, and some of you are friends with me, and some of you answered, where have you experienced unexpected joy in the most difficult of times? And I would love for you to go back and read that. It's a public post. Many people mentioned that what had happened to them in the moments of dying and death brought them joy. The family that came together around the bedside of a loved one who was dying. Several people had mentioned the provision of God through nature on the toughest of days. How many of y'all went on walks during the pandemic and were like, oh, the crocuses are blooming and the daffodils, how lovely. And look at that robin that I now know because I downloaded an app that told me that. <laughs> there was joy in the toughest of days. And then there were mention of joys in the midst of troubling diagnoses. Somebody said, well, I got diagnosed with this, and all of a sudden all of my friends and families that I hadn't been in touch with for years came out of the woodwork, and they all came and saw me and talked to me and reconnected, and what a joyful time that was. A good friend of mine, Bailey, died at the way too young age of 29. And her mom said the joy, it's not quite joy, she said, but knowing that her organs were giving life to others was a deep, abiding joy. Some of you may be familiar with the author Kate Bowler. She understands the nature of suffering. She was going through treatment for stage four cancer and had this to say about rejoicing in the midst of suffering. The command in scripture to rejoice does something especially valuable for those of us in distress. As I've said before, pain and suffering isolate us because our affliction is so real and so undeniable and so immediate. We are naturally persuaded to concentrate on that pain. And that path takes us deeper into dark places into ourselves where it is not always healthy to go, especially alone. Dwelling on it hurts as if that is all we were, not only robs us of our future, but 
far worse, it robs us of our investment in the precious present. By failing to experience joy, even in the midst of crappy times, her words, not mine, we can be engulfed entirely by our circumstances, but it need not be so, she says. We do not have to reduce ourselves to someone who exists only to endure hardship. In our suffering, we must not exile ourselves from the love of God or daily joy. If we rejoice in all the capabilities and opportunities that remain with us from sitting with a coffee for a minute in the sunshine to finding the right word for a bit of work we've been fussing over, we can grab the present by the scuff of the neck and smile, knowing that no matter how diminished we might be by disease or circumstance, we are not finished, not by a long shot. You are loved you are loved, you are loved, and that is worth celebrating, she says. Friends, we walk a fine line this evening. Mardi Gras, literally French for Fat Tuesday, is a feast day. It's a day of celebration. It's the time where we gather up all of those ingredients and use them all up for pancakes so we're not tempted to eat those things throughout the rest of Lent. Mardi Gras in some parts of the world is part of a larger season uh, before Lent and after Epiphany. Those of you from New Orleans or Mobile have stories, I'm sure, of celebrating this prolonged season. We wear masks, we dance, we find joy where we can today. We eat chocolate. We take those last sips of the soda we're going to put away for the next 40 days. The tension between joy and sorrow can be palpable. They're almost two sides of the same coin. And sometimes I'm afraid that we as a culture perhaps embrace only the superficial joy and miss out on the deep abiding joy that comes from God. If our joy is only in other humans, those humans will fail us. And even if they never fail us, either we'll be departed from them by death or vice versa. And if our joy is only in the beautiful parts of nature, a dreary day can turn us spiraling down. Our deepest and most abiding joy as Christians comes in our bedrock identity. We are beloved by a God who loves us unconditionally. A God who created us as good, who gave us every good thing by a God who longs for a relationship with us with us. May we learn the art of joy in the midst of deep sorrow from Habakkuk. May we find joy in those little things like the sunlight dancing on the wall of our hospital room, flowers poking through the grass. May we have spiritual eyes to find those pockets of joy in ways big and small. And when those moments of joy are nowhere to be found, may we rejoice in our God whose love abides, and whose love will see us through the worst of our days. Amen.